0: There are so many similarities on Shadow to to other high-grade uranium deposits, especially basement-hosted uranium deposits, that it's 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 uncanny. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, our current share structure, because we are so tight, I think any discovery that we can make right now will just send us through the roof, and that's I want our investors to reap all the rewards possible. I've generated quite a lot of investor wealth in the past through a lot of you know through Hathor through NextGen, and you know, indirectly through Denison Mines with these discoveries. Now is the time to really make it big for everybody involved in baseload. And that's, that's my end goal right here.
1: Welcome back into Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. Well, today you are in for a treat. If you're like me and you like finding early stage opportunities that have a lot of potential, that are run by somebody with experience and out-of-the-box thinking that could, if their theory is correct, generate a lot of wealth for themselves and shareholders. You're going to enjoy today's show because I'm speaking with James Sykes. He is a friend of mine that I've known for about four years. I always chat with him when I go to PDAC, that annual conference there in March in Toronto. James is a successful uranium geologist working in the Athabasca Basin in northern Saskatchewan, and he is with a new venture, and he is the president and CEO of this early-stage uranium play And I'm bringing them on the show today to introduce this company to us. Baseload, I should note, is part of the Ore Group, and the Ore Group is a sponsor of Mining Stock Education. We heard from Stephen Stewart about a few weeks ago regarding Ore Finders, another company in the Ore Group. And so Baseload is also in the Ore Group, and Stephen is the chairman of Baseload. So James, you're the president and CEO, welcome on to Mining Stock Education.
0: Thank you very much, Bill. Thanks for having me and thanks to your listeners for listening to this and it's great to touch base with you again.
1: Introduce yourself to my listeners regarding some of your success in the Athabasca Basin if they're not familiar with it already, please.
0: Absolutely. I've told this story many times. Uh, so when I started out with my career, I was with Denison Mines. At that time, they had they did not have the discoveries that they have today. Uh, but I was part of the team that eventually led to those discoveries. So we were the the exploration generators that really targeted the uh, the Phoenix discovery, and then the Griffin discovery. And in particular with Griffin, I, I was relogging core and came across some clay alteration. Said, "Whoa, this is fantastic! It's got uranium. You know, let's really focus on this." And lo and behold, it came Griffin. After that, I went to Hathor Exploration, which I'm pretty sure most people in the uranium space on the investor side really know Hathor because that was the junior that kicked off this whole junior exploration rush uh, with the discovery they made there. But I did a lot of geological work, came up with a 3D model that suggested we were looking on the wrong trend. As soon as we shifted focus, we discovered two more deposits out there. So success in that regards. Uh, after that, I went to Rio Tinto for a brief stint when they bought out Hathor. And from there, I jumped over to NextGen Energy prior to their discovery. I was the lead geologist behind the behind the discovery there. And you know, I'm pretty sure most of your listeners do know the NextGen story. That's the, the big one that people know about Uranium today. So with NextGen, that was a wonderful success. And I think that just it solidified a lot of ideas for me that I had going and it's really it's really helped develop my career right now and this is where i've taken everything that i've learned in the past and bringing it over to baseload and from what i see with baseload right now we're we're primed for a very uh, wonderful success.
1: And for listeners that aren't fami- familiar with uh, Athabasca Basin, please just give an overview of why you're focusing on the Athabasca Basin.
0: Absolutely. Athabasca Basin is elephant country for uranium. When you want to find a commodity, typically high grades are what you want, and you don't get higher grades than what you find in the Athabasca Basin. These are world class. Average for uranium across the globe, let's say it's about 0.1% to 0.15% U308. Average grades in the Athabasca Basin are about 3%. And if you get these monster deposits like MacArthur River and Scar Lake, you're looking at above 20% U308. That's phenomenal. Those are the richest commodities in the world even when the uranium price was depressed.
1: So they're rich in terms of their grade but there's also some complications with mining in the, in the basin isn't there?
0: Oh, for sure. It's and it's quite ridiculous again like with with what I've developed over the past. And what I'm bringing up is actually not a new idea but I'm a very strong proponent behind it. The Athabasca basin itself is a sandstone. It's a it's, it's a sandstone with water in it and that water causes a lot of uh mining engineering issues. If you look at the two mines that have ever gone into production underground in the Athabasca Basin itself, Cigar Lake and MacArthur River, they both flooded twice. So it's it's expensive, it causes delays. So now to mine those out they have to they have to do what they call a freeze curtain. And that just freezes all the water on top so you can't get any water infiltrating along these structures. And again, uranium in the Athabasca is all controlled by structures. So Why would you want to mine something that is more than likely going to flood on you? It's going to be absolutely expensive. And the only only reason why you do that is obviously if you have a MacArthur River or a cigar. And these things are monsters. They're monster tonnage, monster grades, like I suggested. There are a number of other deposits in the Athabasca that have been discovered in the 70s, 80s. There's still no advancement on them. Why? Because of that sandstone. Uh, There's a couple of the larger companies have have tried to look at the idea of doing an open pit mine below 100 meters depth can't be done because that water infiltration is just too much so in in a lot of other commodities across the globe you've got your open pit mine and that's you can go 200 meters 300 meters 400 meters because the rock type is right you can't do that in the Athabasca basin so it you know it's kind of mind-blowing to me is why are we still looking for those then You know the chance of finding these monsters is very slim. So why are we looking for these smaller things? Yet, when you really look at the Athabasca Basin, most of that mineralization is along basement-controlled structures and they're basement-hosted still. So we know that these, we know that the structures and the basement rocks have a huge role to play. I can show basement, uh, like smaller basement deposits, at least 100 kilometers away from the Athabasca Basin edge. But this, we've had horse blinders on our exploration strategy since the 70s, 80s, 90s, and they've carried into the 2000s that we have to look for this unconformity type of model. And the unconformity is basically the, the contact between this uh, porous water saturated sandstone with competent crystalline basement rocks that if you had no sandstone cover, you could easily open pit something like that down to 200, 300, 400 meters. So that's the, the thesis that we have taken as, as base load progresses, is that we are looking for these basement hosted deposits. And again, we know they're there. Arrow is a perfect example. That's all completely basement hosted. Eagle Point, another 200 million pound deposit, all basement hosted. And there are more and more being discovered today. Even I mentioned earlier, the Griffin deposit that Denison Mines has, that's a basement hosted deposit. So if you can remove the sandstone from these and have them near a surface, you are looking at open pit scenarios. And that's our thesis. That's what we're calling the Athabasca 2.0, and we're advancing this model.
1: So James, with this thesis, when you went about looking for properties, can you talk about how you used this thesis when you were looking at the radiometrics or geophysics, whatever you were looking at to choose your first couple uh, properties, how did your operating thesis play into your selection?
0: Yeah, so basically, The thesis is we're looking for structures. Structures are first and foremost to move basically any commodity that you have uh, in today's mining world. Soon as you have a structure, you've introduced uh, porosity in the rocks. Even these are really hard, brittle rocks. Structures will allow fluids to migrate along there. So that's what we need first and foremost. Structure, structure, structure. I can't emphasize that enough. And then we're looking at areas that uh, had the right type of structure. and had the ability to increase its porosity. Uh, looking at the airborne radiometrics as well, it's nice to have fertile sources of uranium to start with because if if your rocks are already enriched in the element that you're looking for, so in our example uranium, you throw a structure through that, you, that's how you can start to mobilize uh, remobilize uranium and deposit it in a structural trap down the down the whole structural system. So that's kind of what we're looking for. We're also looking for something that was unique. Uh, we didn't want to continue beating uh, beating the horse anymore, as as a lot of other companies that do. And again, that's staying outside of the basin. So our focus and mandate is basically let's step outside the basin. Let's actually see what's there because we do know that there is mineralization out this way. And in looking at that, you know the The radiometrics is great for the surface, so I think we've identified some some areas like that, and even even looking for showings in the areas. You know, if there if there were any reported boulders or or surface showings, and especially our Hook Lake project that we have. Uh, you now that's our property contiguous with a very high grade forty percent U three hundred eight showing at surface, and that kind of trends right right along to Macarthur River. So we're, you know, we're looking for things like that.
1: And you have the Hook Project, but you also have the Shadow Project. And my understanding is you're going to be starting working on the Shadow Project to begin with.
0: Yes, uh, right now Shadow is, I would say, is the more advanced of the projects. Although Hook has been explored since the '70s, we've just compiled a lot of historic assessment reports on Hook. So we will be putting all that information together and figuring out what the next steps are for that. But yes, with with shadow, shadow is completely outside the box thinking. This is an area that has never been explored. And I really have to emphasize that this is as green as it gets. So we're not following up on, we're not following up on something that somebody else has done. Uh, This is us taking this thesis, us taking these ideas, and us moving forward with this area and in a i've recently done a presentation we posted it last week on the website which i really i detail the you know the structural elements why i think shadow is uh, quite favorable but it's it's got all the makings and i can't emphasize it enough there are so many similarities on shadow to to other high-grade uranium deposits especially basement hosted uranium deposits that it's 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 uncanny i've never seen anything like it it's uh someone once told me that well they they told me that basically what i've done was i've taken the entire uh, history of the athabasca basin deposits and just summarized it all in this one little property and that's exactly what it is it's it's very unique so our outside the box thinking has been able to look at something like this and identify it at a very early stage so again we're we are the outside the box thinkers we've got a strategy that we will be employing and We really think that we're onto something here.
1: James, as you know, this is a bet on the jockey type early stage exploration play. And I watched the 30-minute presentation, and I will put a link to that in the show notes. I would encourage you, if you want the more in-depth geological deep dive, uh, click on the link in the show notes to hear James' full explanation of this theory. But it made me think about what Rick Rule said, that when you invest, or I should say speculate, in an early stage company, you're betting on management, and the key asset is not even the projects, but it's what's between the two ears of the management, the intellectual ability and, and thinking and mindset. And that's basically what we have here. We're, we're betting on you. This idea is out of the box. But then the next question we need to ask as speculators is, okay, what are the steps to test this theory and what type of money are you gonna to need to do it? So can you tell us what are you doing in, in terms of testing this theory?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so every time I think about this property and think about that video, I get shivers up my spine because I'm so excited about it. So we flew an airborne survey, an MT airborne survey. Uh, we've got our magnetics, we've got our EM. That's a great first pass, but now we need to be a little bit more diligent because obviously we do want to drill. You don't make a discovery without, without the diamond drill. So to get to that point, uh, I'm a huge fan of gravity surveying. Now, what gravity basically does is you're mapping for clay alteration. The one thing these Athabasca deposits all have in common, aside from uranium, aside from structure, is a clay alteration envelope. So you're basically targeting clay alteration. You're not actually targeting the uranium itself just because that, that halo, that clay halo is much larger than the uranium itself. So gravity will be able to do that because you're looking at density contrasts. So for me, moving forward with shadow, that's the next big step that we have to do. That will actually save us drill holes down the road. Now We could go right now, shadow is actually in a drill ready state, but to be more efficient with our drill dollars, because we want to see more drilling, we want our investors to realize that, hey, these guys aren't just, you know, they're not just, uh, uh, pony show here or, or you know this is not their first rodeo these guys know what they're doing they're going to be wise with our investor dollars so yes the gravity will get us to better targeting on the ground and we're hoping to be doing that by early december and have some results prior to the end of the year because yes we would like to get drilling and so basically that's that's the next steps that we need to do to shadow it's almost there it's by the end of the year, we should be ready to start drilling uh, early January at the latest, which are yeah, we're basically right there.
1: And is this project drillable all year round?
0: Yes, Preferable in the winter. We haven't actually done enough of assessments, uh, like flying over to see uh, to see what the lake type of situation is well. We've seen the lakes from the satellite imagery, but uh, swamps and things like that. Sometimes they're not totally apparent from satellite imagery, but wintertime is always the best to drill in the Athabasca Basin. Just You can get access to any part of the property anywhere.
1: Okay, let's talk about finances. Uh, what is in the treasury right now? What's your burn rate, and when are you going to need to raise money next?
0: So in the treasury right now, we have about uh, $500,000. We are currently doing a raise, and so once this raise is done, I'm hoping that we can have about uh, two Two million dollars behind our back. I would obviously love to see more, but that's all we basically need to to move forward with Shadow and to get that diamond drilling project done. With the raise being done yeah we'll be able to advance the project. Will we need to do another another raise? Uh, we're not entirely sure yet. We'll see what the demand is like out there because it's after this after that video went out. Uh, demand has pretty well increased on our on our finance as it is right now. So that is definitely something that uh, we want to get investors exposed to baseload as early as possible because we do feel that there is uh, quite a number of successful opportunities to be had at baseload.
1: James, with the $2 million, uh, how many meters will you be able to drill? At least
0: 5000 which is a very healthy approach to a first-pass exploration strategy.
1: Okay. And what is the spacing? Are the, do you have an estimation of the spacing? Or are you just going to do at one small target area? Are you going to space it wider to see where you hit and then zone in from
0: there? I can't assess that until we actually do our gravity surveying. We do have the three main targets that I've identified in that presentation. And I think that's very realistic that we'll hit all three. Obviously, if we hit very early on, then that would become the strategy is to drill that out as quickly as possible bring on a second reel, second drill maybe even a third drill where one of those would continue on to the other targets that we have and just seeing what's out there and if we keep hitting we just keep adding more drills but obviously we would need to finance for those and so we'd come back out to the market but after after an initial success i don't think it would be hard to to really get much uh yeah, i don't think it'd be an issue trying to finance those
1: so the the first step is to sh- show the market that there's something behind this theory a, a proof of that there's legitimacy to this theory yes absolutely so what would be your burn rate as of right now before you get the drill rigs turning
0: uh, about four hundred thousand annually
1: who is compensated how many employees does the company have right now and uh, what are they compensated uh
0: right now basically there is myself uh, acting as uh, ceo and president uh technical side of things and Stephen Stewart, who is chairman of the board, he's he's really the guru behind the whole uh, base load operation. So because we are part of Stephen's ore finders group, uh, we do get to share a lot of the administrative side of things. So there are a lot of cost savings in that regards. Uh, none of us have taken any salaries yet. That's, we really wanna see the money go into the ground where it, where it belongs. Once we get the drills turning, then we'll come back and, you know, then we can start uh, taking taking some salary, uh, compensated wise. Myself, I have about 1.5 million shares, both in options and shares as part of the uh, the IPO financing. So I'm nicely compensated that way. Very happy about that. Uh, I know Stephen's got some shares and options through those as well. Uh, we have base our uh, Power ORE, which is now Quebec Copper. Um, they have, you know, they own about sixty percent of the company, and that's again another one of Stevens Companies. So we're, you know, we're very tightly held through the through our insiders and and through Stevens Group.
1: Obviously, you have the passion and the motivation, and the true financial reward for you is going to come through discovery, isn't it? It's not. Absolutely. That's what you're after here.
0: I'm after reputation, because I, I've I've got a nice reputation going with me right now, and as you called it, you're betting on the jockey. Uh, I want this jockey to be number one. I want the I want my name to be number one in Athabasca Uranium, because for me that that just that just goes far.
1: If you do hit coinciding with a uranium bull market that we've been expecting, and with your share structure, if it can stay anywhere near where it is right now, I mean, uh, y- your share price will perform very well because I'm looking at your share structure. It's a very tight share structure. Talk to us about your share structure and if you could address some recent market action uh, where your shares basically went up 50% in a day. Could you please uh, speak to that?
0: Yeah. So like you mentioned, we do have a tight share structure. We've got about uh, 30 million shares fully diluted. We've got about uh, 9 to 10 million outstanding right now. So there's not a lot of float going around, which, again, it took about $30,000 on the open market to... To bump our stock up fifty uh, percent, uh, and that's because we don't have a lot of float, which is good and bad. Because obviously we could drop the same amount. Uh, the financing that we're doing right now, though, will hopefully alleviate some of that. But uh, we're not we're not entirely sure where the where the investment came from. But again, it shows that um, I think that people have watched the webinar. They're very interested in the property. They like what they're seeing, and they're just buying on the open market, which is great. You know we. Can't ask for anything more than that, but I'm also reminded of a company that was very successful to their investors, and that was Alpha Uranium, which Fission bought the Triple R property off of them. But Alpha Uranium was a penny stock, you know, they down to cents or ten cents, and then they found the the uranium boulders at surface, and then they drilled and made a discovery. They went through the roof; they were at least ten dollars and more per share. That's what we can do with our current. Uh, our current share structure, because we are so tight. I think any discovery that we can make right now will just send us through the roof. And that's, I want our investors to reap all the rewards possible. Again, I've, I've generated quite a lot of investor wealth in the past through a lot of, you know, through Hathor, through NextGen and, you know, indirectly through Dennis and Mines with these discoveries. Now is the time to really make it big for everybody involved in baseload. And that's, that's my end goal right here.
1: And I should point out, you also trade on the OTC, but it's by appointment only for US investors. James, do you have any plans to upgrade that OTC listing in the future?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's the wisest move that we can do. Uh, we just got to finish off this financing first, and then we're seriously considering putting ourselves on the OTC QB uh, as soon as possible. It's We realize that our neighbors to the south Uh, USA, there's a lot of investor potential. There's a lot of investor interest and there's just, there's far more access to investors in general in the States than there are here in Canada. So it's a very smart move on our behalf to get listed on the QB.
1: I am an indirect shareholder of Baseload Energy, I should point out through my ownership in OreFinders. OreFinders owns 9% of Quebec Copper, which owns 62% of Baseload. So I do have exposure as um, currently as this interview is being recorded to Baseload Energy. To learn more, go to baseload.com. The company again is Baseload Energy Corp. Find it on the T S X V under the ticker F-I-N-D. Find, which is what James is trying to do. And on the OTC, the current ticker is B as in Boy. S-E-N-T F and look for that upgraded OTC QB listing as that James spoke about. James, really appreciate you coming on and providing this overview and we're going to be following this story closely.
0: Thank you very much Bill and I hope that you do and I hope your listeners do because this is very exciting. Now I can't guarantee you discovery. I really wish I could <laughs> but I can take the necessary steps to get to what I think are the best locations for discovery and that's what I've done. that's what I'll keep keep doing.